Hello, we are Restoration Church Chicago and welcome to our podcast. You can connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission is to glorify Jesus everywhere, and that includes right here, right now. Thanks for tuning in. excited to share um, on the topic of spiritual warfare this morning. We're in Ephesians, as you guys know, or those who have been coming know we've been in the book of Ephesians, and we are now at chapter 6, starting in verse 10, if you're following along in your Bible, which we encourage you to do, um, which is that famous passage that Paul talks about, the armor of God. And so we're going to go through that this morning. I might just lift this, sorry. I'm a little, there we go. Need to get it closer to my face. Is that okay? Maybe too much. But we're in a battle. We are in a battle. Sometimes it's easier to avoid that we're in a battle. Some Christians prefer not to talk about that we're in a battle or deal with it or just kind of pretend that we're not. But Paul started off right at the beginning of Ephesians talking about uh, this cosmic battle between good and evil and the spirit realm that's happening that we can't see. So it's happening and it's real. And very much like uh, when you're in, if, imagine if you fought in a war, we haven't had to fight in a war, thank the Lord, in my lifetime, well, actually in Iraq, but for many of us, not in our lifetime. But when you fight in a war, you have this little part of the battle that you're a part of, right? And you have to stand your ground and do your role there, but there's a lot of battle going on everywhere else. It's much bigger than just us. So very similar to that, we're in a spiritual battle and we have to hold our ground where we are, even if we can't see all the other areas that the enemy is fighting and attacking. But why are we in a battle? When Jesus rose from the dead, when he resurrected, the enemy, the devil, the powers of evil, the principalities of darkness were not happy. That's an understatement. They were not happy because that pointed to their ultimate defeat. It challenged their authority. So they were not happy. So they began, also small communities of believers started to form the local church and they started living in a new way. They started having faith and hope and life and they were spreading the message of Jesus and they were loving one another. And that also was evidence of a good God, evidence that there was a creator, a sovereign God who was in control and that was eventually going to send all of darkness to its ultimate defeat and destruction. And so the demonic powers and principalities do not like it. And they do everything they can to take out Christians, to keep us distracted, to keep us distracted from our mission, to oppress us, to keep us down. Just taking Christians off course through false teaching, through temptations of the flesh and the world, just worldliness, getting sidetracked. You see Christians getting sidetracked from irrelevant issues, right? You get, see Christians getting sidetracked by all kinds of things and away from the mission that God's called us to. These are the ways that the devil and the principalities of darkness bring attack against us. Sometimes we think about the demonic in this like really big obvious ways, right? Like witchcraft or possession and your eyes are glossed over and you've lost control. But the devil can't do that to us as Christians. He can't do that. We belong to Jesus. Often the way he attacks us are in much more subtle ways. And it's in the day-to-day things that God, that the enemy uses to take us off track the day-to-day battles and lies and doubts and things we face. 
And we need to learn to see the strategy of the enemy in order for us to stand. Because if we don't even see or don't even know the ways the devil wants to come against us, we can't stand and we can't fight. So it's important that we're ready and that we know. We are called to take up the mission of Jesus on the earth. Basically do what he was doing. But how many Christians get distracted, taken out, taken off course from so many different things? So I'm picking up in chapter 6, verse 10 this morning. Paul, again, has covered a lot of Ephesians. He's spoken from the beginning about this battle. And now he's starting to close his letter. And he's basically saying, finally, and another translation says, what else is there to say? Be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Paul starts off emphasizing our strength is from Jesus. Our strength is from Jesus. It's not our own strength or our own ability to be strong. We fight from his strength. We fight with the strength of Jesus. We don't do spiritual warfare with self-talk, mantras, you know, being super strong in our mind, making our mind a vault, shutting down our emotions or our sensitivity, positive thinking. That's not how we get more confidence. Our confidence comes from Jesus. That kind of confidence is confidence in the flesh. I'm just gonna will my mind really hard to think on this thing. That's confidence in the flesh. Our confidence comes from Jesus. Our strength is the strength of Jesus. His strength, not our own. Even the renewing of our mind is through meditating on scripture and getting scripture in our head. Yeah, but mostly getting scripture in our heart, right? getting it in us deep so that it can transform us. It can begin doing the work. The word and the spirit begin doing the work. It's not in our head and it's not us that renews our mind. Spiritual warfare is not mind over matter. We rely on the strength of Jesus, on the strength of Jesus. Nothing against physical strength. I know we have some bodybuilders in here, but physical strength is not going to do anything against the enemy. It's useless against the enemy. You need spiritual strength to stand against the enemy. Spiritual strength is what matters when it comes to standing in the face of attack. Spiritual strength comes from being with Jesus, comes from our intimacy with Jesus. And I asked the Lord all week, what are you trying to say? Which I always do when I preach. I know there's a lot you could do. You could take it all these different directions, but Lord, what do you want to say to us as a church? And he just kept bringing me back to, how's your intimacy with Jesus? How is our intimacy with Jesus? Are we spending time with him? Are we growing in relationship and trust and learning to hear his voice? We all spend time with Jesus differently. We all spend time differently. Sometimes for me, I do a lot of studying because I'm in um, my master's course in theology, but I had to be reminded that that studying is not time with Jesus. That's studying. I need time with Jesus. And we all spend time with, it's more like, I wouldn't say it's like you spend time with a buddy because I don't think Jesus should be our buddy. He's our Lord and our King. But we spend time with him without agenda and just waiting on him listening to hear his voice, allowing him to speak to us. For me, it's when I put on worship music. I get into the presence of God. I worship in my house and I get into the presence of God. For some people, it's taking a walk, getting in nature, running, 
whatever it takes. For some, it's reading, reading scripture, just reading the word. Whatever it takes, carve out time to be with Jesus in your weeks. Because we fight the devil's strategies by leaning into Jesus, leaning into him, leaning on him. That's how we fight from a place of intimacy with him. But who or what are we fighting? Well, Paul tells us in verse 12 that our battle is not against the devil only, but it's against all the spirit, spiritual rulers, all the authorities and powers, spiritual powers and authorities of this world. That we're fighting all of them. And I'm not gonna read all the scripture because I have a lot to cover. So I trust if you want to, you can go and read the actual verses in the week yourself. But the devil is real, he has power, and he comes against us in many ways, lies, doubts, fears. He tells us we're not good enough. He brings condemnation. He brings discouragement. You ever feel discouraged or hopeless? That's an attack from the enemy. Resentment. He tries to get us to doubt God's goodness, that his plans for our lives are good, that he has plans for our lives, and that he loves us. And whenever we try to move forward in God and say yes to him, you can expect the devil to bring opposition in one of those ways or many of those ways. He also brings opposition from our flesh. We have our flesh. We've been redeemed, but we still have our flesh. Our flesh is not redeemed. It's going to die. It still tempts us. It's still, we are always tempted to just gratify self, just live for self, just please our own desires. That's the flesh. And that's also how the enemy tempts us. He brings um, temptation in the form of just gratifying self, self-love, self-indulgence. I mean, it's all in our culture. Self-love, self-care. You know, I'm not saying we don't care for ourselves, but self is a lot. We obsess about self in our culture. What I want, what I need, what makes me happy. It doesn't mean all our desires are evil. It doesn't mean our bodies are evil. God created them good. It just means we can't be ruled by them. We can't be governed by them by our desires. Jesus came to earth as a man. He was, he is and always was God. And he came and chose to take on human flesh. He came on, he came to take on this body that was gonna tempt. And in that he was fully man. He was fully tempted in every way that we are tempted. And it was to deal with the consequence of sin. Jesus came in the flesh to deal with the consequence of sin and death but also so that we could know God because our minds were so darkened by sin, we could not even begin to know or seek the real true God in our state unless Jesus had come and shown us, shown us the Father. But there was significance in the way he died. He died on the cross. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? I'm learning about this, so I'm sharing. He, uh, such a, why couldn't he just die in a home with friends? Why couldn't he just die a quiet, peaceful death? He still would have defeated death and raised from the dead. Why did he have to die such a brutal, humiliating, degrading, horrible, public death? First of all, I, it's because of the spirit realm had to see. It had to be public because there was something in the spirit realm. The demonic had to see his victory. They had to see his death. Also, who would believe Jesus' resurrection if we didn't see his death? But there was more than that. There's significance in the way he died because he overcame the flesh, the things that are so hard for us to overcome. He overcame every desire of the flesh, every desire of the flesh and self in the way he died. 
It's significant. And we can overcome. If we're honest, we can make a lot of things about ourselves, right? And I want to talk a little bit about serving this morning. And I'll use my own self as an example. But even serving and using our gifts and things can be about ourselves, right? It can be like, I need recognition. I want to use my gifts. Or look at me and what I can do. It can be looking for platform. Um, it could just be from many things. A little bit of self. A little bit of the flesh. Needing to be seen. Needing to feel significant. But we're not to make it about self. And in fact, we're supposed to kind of kill that thing in us that always wants those things. So I'll use an example of, from myself. When I first started leading worship, it was so exciting. It was so, it was like on a stage. It was at a different church. I was on a stage. There was a big band. There was, it wasn't a lot of lights, but the sound system was pretty good. So I remember I get up and I sing on this microphone and I was like, my voice sounds amazing because of all the effects and all the things. And the sound system was so good. And people would cry in the worship and they would lift their hands. And I was off the stage and I was like, that was incredible. Wow, that was such a high. I love doing that. It's like, that's amazing. You know, and I was young and it's fine. It's, you're young and you're innocent, it's fine. So I'm not saying that those things are bad, but I felt so good and I was like, I wanna do this, I wanna do this more. And then we planted, right? We planted a church. And there was no sound system. And it was just me. And it was week in and week out, every single week, exhausted or not exhausted, from a dry place, from a, pl a place of being refreshed, from a place of being sick. It didn't matter. I was up there. Mike and Kalina, no, they were with me. <laughs> there wasn't a nice microphone that made me sound amazing. And in fact, most people that were sitting in the room were thinking, those 10 people that I was worshiping to were thinking, I can go down the road and man, I missed the worship at that church. It would be so much better. So very humbling, right? Week in and week out for years, we did that. That, I needed to learn to serve. That's when you're serving. When there's really nothing in it for you, and in fact, it was kind of humiliating at times, sometimes embarrassing, that's what it means to serve. And the same with leading life groups. You know, you start, you open your home, you're like, I get to lead a life group. And then you open your home, and you're like, 20 people are gonna come, and I made these amazing food, this amazing meal. People are gonna think I'm the best cook, and they're gonna think we're such good hosts, and Hugh's gonna share with 20 people, and we get to teach, and it's just gonna be amazing, you know? You start like that, and you open the door, and there's like one person or no people come. And you've done all of this work, and you've prepared your home. You, you who lead life groups, you know what I mean. And you do all that, but you know what? God sees, now you're serving for that one person, for that one person who came to ours for a couple years, maybe it was just Marie, I think, actually. It was just Marie. Marie felt sorry for us when we started our life group. But that's what serving is. Same with preaching. A preacher who wakes up at 5 a.m. and prepares and prepares every week for 10 people. That's when we're serving. And that's what God cares about. It's what matters to him. John 16 says, 16.33, in this world you have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. How do we overcome? I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, we overcome by the greatest commandment. 
Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. That's how we overcome the flesh and self. Love for God above all things. Love for God above our kids. Love for God above our spouse, above our ministry, above our stuff, our dreams, the things we're called to. Love him above all things. And that's how we overcome. So we face opposition, and it comes in many forms. But the good news is we can resist. Paul tells us in verse 11, he calls us to equip ourselves. How do we equip ourselves? By putting on the armor. Whose armor? The armor of God. His armor. That just wowed me this week in my study, that so many references to the armor of God that Paul uses are back referencing um, in Isaiah. And it's the actual armor that is on God. So we're putting on God's armor. Let's look at what this armor is. First, it's the belt of truth, fitted with the belt of truth. That truth is the gospel. It's the gospel message. Primarily, we need to know that our message is true. And you're like, Vanessa, I've been in church all my life. Of course, I believe the gospel. We need to know that we know that we know that we know that our message is true. The gospel is true. If it's not, everything else doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. So we need to know that the gospel is true and allow it to permeate our lives. The gospel should permeate our lives, get into us, work in our character, work in our character, building integrity. Integrity means doing what's right when no one's looking. It's what's done in private that matters to God. Not the images we try to project, not the things we say, but it's actually what we do in private. It's challenging. It's challenging for me. But allowing the gospel to work in us. So our message is true, and that message is Jesus Christ came to earth, took on human flesh in order to deal with our sin and the consequence of that sin, which is death. Our sin demanded a sacrifice, and Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, the spotless lamb without blemish, sacrificed himself on our behalf so that we could be free. His death bought our freedom, paid the price for our sin, and set us free to know our maker, to love God, to be devoted to him. He was then raised from the dead, proving that death was defeated, ascended to heaven, sat down at the Father's right hand, but he's coming back, and he's coming back and to judge the living and the dead, and he will make all things right. Put that truth on. Put that truth on and keep it on. That is our message. And when he comes back, we will reign with him in a restored creation. That is, that is the truth of the gospel. Next, the breastplate of righteousness, which is the very righteousness of Christ. It's a given to us by God. It's his righteousness put on us, the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, Paul expounds on this very well in Philippians 3, 7 to 9. He says basically all of his efforts, all of his efforts of being righteous, his degrees, his achievements, his good works, all are useless to making a person righteous. Let's read it. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And that righteousness of Jesus protects us. It's significant that the breastplate covers our heart, our emotions, where the enemy comes with anxiety and worry and our chest gets tight or we struggle to breathe or there's hurt and there's pain. Put on the righteousness of Jesus. Put on the righteousness of Jesus right here that covers us. His fundamental goodness, his righteousness, his justice are all ours. Just like he vindicated, God vindicated Jesus when he raised him from the dead. We've been vindicated. We've been justified. Put that on and keep it on. Next, we put on our shoes, shoes of the gospel of peace. The gospel message is assuredly a gospel of peace. We've been reconciled to God forever. We have peace with God and we have peace with each other. We don't have to fight and have be hostile and hostile people groups. We've been reconciled to people, to one another. So it's a gospel of peace. And we've been say, um, that, that peace will keep us standing when the enemy tries to knock us down. It's the peace of God. Then we take up the shield of faith. This is our strong belief and trust in Jesus and our loyalty to him. Belief in what we know to be true about God, unwavering belief and faith in Jesus, no matter what, complete loyalty to him. That will protect us from the flaming arrows that the enemy throws. Those arrows can be doubt, negative circumstance, personal tragedy, strong temptation, even success in life that tempts us to pride. Those are all the arrows that the enemy will try to throw at us. But we have the shield of faith. Our trust in God's goodness, our trust in who he is, his faithfulness, his promise, will quench those fiery arrows. And for those who may already know, the Roman soldier's shield was as big as a door. So it would cover your whole self, and that's our shield of faith. And I think this, I learned that it was soaked in, um, it was leather and it was soaked in water, so it would quench the arrows. So if you like imagery, that helped me understand. There's the helmet of salvation next. We're almost there. The Roman soldier's helmet symbolized military victory. It's Christ's victory that guards our mind, that we're saved, included in the family of God, that the victory has been won and that we have eternal life. We're rescued from eternal death. That's what guards our mind. And finally, take up the sword of the spirit. A sword of the spirit. I had a great time studying the sword of the spirit this week. And I did a little deep dive on the sword of the spirit, which Paul states is the word of God. I was like, what is okay? It's the word of God. Because I've always learned it was scripture, but actually scripture wasn't written yet. So Paul couldn't have been referring to just quoting scripture. It's, um, Paul is using phrases here and imagery um, from the Old Testament, specifically from Isaiah 49.2, which is the second of four um, songs in Isaiah that prophesy about the coming Messiah and there are these suffering servant songs that prophesy about the Messiah coming, that he's coming and he's gonna come and he's gonna suffer and die. So speaking about Jesus, his imagery here and his references about Jesus. So Jesus is our sword. Jesus is the word of God. John talks about Jesus as the word of God. Jesus is actually our sword. Our revelation of Jesus as promised Messiah, the rescuer, deliverer, he is the sword that we swing at the enemy when he comes. 
Our revelation of his power, of what he's accomplished, of his work on our behalf, all of that is our weapon. Jesus paid the price for me. He set me free. I stand forgiven. Justified, loved, accepted, called by God, chosen by God, identity secure, covered by the blood, cleansed by the blood. When the enemy tells you you're alone, Jesus is your defense. He's with me. When he brings condemnation or our circumstances make us feel condemned, Jesus is our defense. He set me free. I'm forgiven. When we were afraid, when we are afraid, Proverbs says, perfect love casts out fear. Jesus is God's perfect love for us. When we feel unloved by God, Romans 8.38, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, demons, the present, the future, any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. The love of God. Jesus is proof of God's love for us. Everything is found in and through Jesus. Everything that we need to fight, which brings me full circle to the beginning of my message that we fight from our intimacy with Jesus. It's how we stand. And remember what Paul's opening exhortation is, be strong in the Lord. Paul had such a revelation of us being in Christ. If you read any of his books, you can see he had such a revelation that we are in Christ, our lives hidden with Christ, Christ actually living in and through us. And once we're saved, our lives are hidden. And so because of these things are true of Jesus and I am in him, they're true of me too. That's how all of these things can be true for us too. We are now hidden in Christ, covered with Jesus. Our life is hidden because we are in Christ. So we don't have to be strong. We don't have to be strong. Jesus is strong and we are in him. He's our righteousness. He's our strength. He's our peace. The greater our intimacy and fellowship with him, the more we can stand in his strength when we face opposition and the more we're aware of the battle and we're ready when the enemy comes. Can I just pray for us this morning? I'll just ask you guys to bow your heads, close your eyes. I did feel like God wanted to minister to some who feel they have a, like a fogginess um, or maybe a heaviness and just a lack of clear thinking. So I'm just gonna pray for that. Father, we just pray now that you come, cover us in your righteousness, God. Cover us, hide us in you, God. Thank you that our lives are hidden in you, God. Just cover us, Lord, cover us with your goodness with your righteousness, with your justice. Those who need to feel vindicated, God, cover them. They've been justified because of you, Jesus. Those with emotional wounds, God, I pray that they will put on the breastplate of righteousness, knowing they're justified this morning, God. Lift off heaviness, Jesus, I pray. Paul says, pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel 
Father, I pray that for us, God. I pray a fearlessness and a boldness this morning to come on us, Father, even now. Come upon us, God, and give us a fearlessness. Give us your words to fearlessly proclaim you, God. An unwavering faith, a belief in you, God. Perseverance, courage that comes from you. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook, 